heard the Lord say you're going to take communion with me now. So we're just going to receive communion. We don't have any elements. We don't need any elements. We have him. We have Jesus. We have his body. We have his blood. We did this in the prayer room this morning. I just want it to be an intentional time right now of engaging with Jesus, setting your eyes upon him. It's through him that we have life. And it's because of his death that brings us into that place of the resurrection life. The problem is, is most of the church right now is not actually living the resurrected life. (laughs) We're still living in his death but not walking into his life. Now the thing is, is there is a, there's an understanding that we need to have that in this life, we will face trials, tribulations, struggles, persecution, suffering. But he says, cheer up. Be of good cheer. Be happy. Why? Because I have overcome this very world that persecutes us, that gives us the trials, that gives us the persecution and the tribulation. And through him, we are overcomers. It may not look like it in the world's eyes because there is persecution. But at the end of the day, When all's said and done, we will be the overcomers. You can sit. I'm going to just have you guys sit down. Just just engage your hearts in this. I'm going to read from Colossians 1. I'm going to read in the Passion Version. and, And this is going to be just this place of communion right now. So we are... We are going to commune with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that as you do this, as you actually set your hearts in this, set set a position of your heart to engage into communion with him. A lot of times we just go through this ritual of we just take this piece of bread and take a little cup with juice in it and we say, oh, we just did communion. Most of the time we actually didn't do communion. We didn't have communion with him. I believe right now you're going to experience a new level of communion. You're going to experience a new level of understanding of what it means to actually come into that place of communion with him, of relationship with him, of deep, intimate relationship with him, of deep, intimate just times with him. And it's in this, this is the beginning of worship.
we gain this understanding of who he is. It's a spirit of wisdom, of understanding and revelation that opens our eyes to an understanding of the knowledge of the will of God. So Lord, I pray right now as we take communion with you, open our ears, open our eyes, that we would see, that we would know you, that we would know Christ in us, the hope of glory. Since we first heard about you, we've kept you always in our prayers that you would receive the perfect knowledge of God's pleasure over your lives, making you reservoirs of every kind of wisdom and spiritual understanding. We pray that you would walk in the ways of true righteousness, pleasing God in every good thing that you do. Then you will become fruit-bearing branches, yielding in his life and maturing in the rich experience of knowing God in his fullness. And we pray that you would be energized with all of his explosive power from the realm of his magnificent glory, filling you with great hope. For our hearts soar with joyful gratitude when we think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. Lord, may we live in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness. And he has translated us or transformed us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. And in the son, all our sins are canceled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood just say this again. For in the Son, all of our sins are canceled. When, when we are in Him, when He is in us, every sin is canceled. Every sin is removed by the power of the blood of Jesus. It's released. It releases that redemption, that redemptive work that is finished by Jesus now is a process of being completed in us through His blood. Oh, Lord, that we would know this. Give us greater understanding. Reveal this to us. Lord, take it from our head to our heart. Let your spirit reveal this to us in a greater way that we would not only just know this in our head, but we would walk in this revelation. He is the divine portrait, the true likeness of the invisible God. He is the firstborn heir of all creation. For through the Son, everything was created. Hear that again. For through the Son, 
everything was created, both in the heavenly realms and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, every realm of government, every principality, and every authority. It was all created through Christ and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made. And now everything finds completion in him. He's the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one. He holds first place in everything. Whether we give him first place or not, he is the first place. He is the exalted one. He is the only one. He's above every name. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. Every knee will bow. Lord, I ask that we would bow our knee in this time, that we would willingly bow our knee as many will be forced to bow their knee. God, may we acknowledge you and know your son as King of kings and as Lord of lords, Lord over our lives, surrendering everything we have to the one who has given it all, that we would have life only through Jesus, only through the Son of God. So for through the Son, everything was created. I just want you to hear this again. I just realize that as we live our lives on this earth, we have Jesus who has created everything in the heavenly realms and the earthly realms. A lot of times we walk in this fear of, <laughs> it's a lack of understanding of actually who's in control, who's actually over all, in all, through all. All that is seen, all that is unseen, every seat of power, every realm of government, every principality, every authority, it's all created through him, and it's for his purpose. So he is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the beginning and the firstborn heir in resurrection, he is the most exalted one. We hold him in that place of first place, in everything, above everything. It says, for God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of the cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself, back to the original intent, restored to innocence again. Thank you, Jesus, that everything is restored back to the original intent because of you, because of what you've done. And even though you were once distant from him, living in the shadow of your evil thoughts and your actions, he reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body. 
as a sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now there is nothing between you and the Father God. For he sees you as holy. He sees you as flawless and as restored. But there's an if there. If indeed you continue to advance in faith, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon. Lord, I thank you that we are reconciled to the Father through Jesus Christ. That the Father would see us as his holy ones, spotless, blameless, flawless, restored. But in this, that we would continue to press on in that faith, to endure in the faith. And in that, assured of a firm foundation to grow upon. Never to be shaken from the hope of the gospel that you have believed in. And this is the glorious news that I preach all over the world. This is Paul saying this. Last part I want to read to you. Catch this. Hear this. Know this. I just see this with eyes of revelation this morning. He says, I can even celebrate the sorrows that I have experienced on your behalf. For as I join with you in your difficulties, it helps you to discover what lacks in your understanding. This is the hard part to see, is that it's in the difficulties, it's in these trials and these tribulations that this is what brings us to a place of revelation that that we would gain understanding in these times. That we would discover what lacks in our understanding of the suffering of Jesus Christ experienced for his body, the church. This is the very reason I've been made a minister of the authority of God and a servant of his body so that all in all his detailed plan, and it is a detailed plan, I would fully equip you with the word of God. There is a divine mystery. There's a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations. But it is now being revealed. It is being unfolded and, the, and manifested for every holy believer to experience. Living within you, within each one of us, is the Christ who floods you with the expectation and the hope of glory. Hear that again. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation and the hope of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. Lord, I thank you that in this, as we know that we are the hope of glory, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Lord, I thank you 
Lord, that you are now revealing yourself through your body, through the body of Christ, that we would actually be unleashing and unveiling and revealing and overflowing with the heavenly treasure chest of hope for those that are hopeless in this time. Lord, this is not about us and it's not for us. It's for the body of Christ. It's for those that have never tasted you before, that they would taste you, that they would know you, that they would come to you through us as Christ is in us. Christ is our message. We preach to awaken hearts and to bring every person into the full understanding of truth. It has become my inspiration and my passion in ministry to labor with a tireless intensity, with the power flowing through me to present to every believer the revelation of being his perfect one in Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning we take you in. We take what represents the body of Christ which was broken for us. We take your blood, the new covenant, but we drink you in. We breathe you in. We align our hearts with yours. May our lives be a very, that very living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to you with everything that we do, with every breath that we take, with every move that we make, with every word that we say, may we be a living sacrifice. We don't take you in in vain. We don't take you, the blood of Christ, in vain. Oh, we realize what you've done for us. You died death so that we can have life. You took every sin upon you. Every sin. Every sin that was, that is, and that is to come. So that we can have life with you. An abundant life by your Holy Spirit living in and through us. That in these times of persecution, when we go through the trials and the tribulations, oh, that it would only strengthen us. It would only bring us into a deeper place of understanding of who you are. That we would glory in the very sufferings that we have because it's the same that you suffered. That we could be a part of your sufferings. Oh, Lord Jesus. I pray that we would know you in every way. That as we walk in the sufferings of your life, we also walk in the resurrection life. I thank you for hope right now being released into people's lives. Thank you for new perspectives, new understanding.
Michael, if you could come up. I just, I'm going to have, as we just close this out, come into a, just a time of teaching. Um, Michael just, the Lord just downloaded this to him, and I want you to hear this. Just close your eyes. And, and as you hear it, here's the thing, just to bring clarity to this. The first part of this is the wisdom of the world. The second part of it is the wisdom of God. And you're going to hear these two understandings. And I pray that this begins to enlighten our heart to give us a greater understanding of actually who Christ is in us and who we are in him. Yes. Oh, as Pastor Mike had said, uh, so these are like nine or so bullet points. The Lord downloaded this to me last week. And, uh, and so, yeah. So each bullet point are the, the, the contrast is there, like how the world thinks, religious thinking versus the truth accordance to his word. I dare not claim Thank you. <laughs> I dare not claim to have an intimate relationship with the most high God. Yet he calls me his friend and says, We are one in spirit. I dare not proclaim to know his ways. Yet he reveals his very heart to me as I have the mind of Christ. I dare not think he can relate to me. Yet he became like me, putting his deity aside. I dare not exalt myself. Yet my God exalts the humble in heart for his glory. I dare not believe to live as he did. Yet he empowers me by his grace and calls me to walk as he walked. I dare not attempt to represent him, yet he calls me his ambassador. I dare not perform miracle signs and wonders, yet all authority has been given to him, and he has delegated his authority to me in his name. I dare not believe that I could ascend to where he is, yet his word says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I dare not say that I am immortal, yet his blood has appropriated eternal life for me. And then one verse here, 1 Corinthians uh, 15.10, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So the last thing I'll just say is, Tracy just shared this with me. He said, you fear what you lose. And, and I'm just going to add to that. And you, and you will lose what you fear. And there are, I feel like there, the Lord is preparing us in this time. He's bringing us into a new understanding of, of, of who we are and who we are not. And he's removing the very things, the idols that in our lives that we are actually still holding on to. And I can tell you, each one of us, including myself, there are, 
we call them idols, call them whatever you want. There are things that we are trusting in, that we are, in a sense, worshiping, many of which we don't even realize. But, but here's, I just, as we were back in the prayer room, I just felt like I just need to share this, that if, if there are things right now in your life that are bringing anxiety, that are bringing fear, that are causing you to, to stay up at night, that are, uh, that are actually removing your joy, that are taking, it's taking your hope away. And, and if, if those things are happening, if, if you're experiencing that in any way, let me say this. Those are actually idols in your life. Those are things that you're holding on to that are beginning to be shaken. And Hebrews 12 talks about this. It says the things that can be shaken will be shaken. So here's the thing, and and here's what we do. Here's our typical response, is as we hold on to those things and they begin to get shaken from us, we don't actually let go of them. We hold on even tighter, and then we ask for prayer. And we pray that God would actually restore the very things that he's trying to shake from our lives. (laughs) There is a hope and a trust often in each one of us that we have we have grabbed hold of the wrong things. I've said it this way before. It's, it's okay to have things. It's not okay for those things to have us. It's okay to have money and, and a job and, and hopefully we have jobs. And, and, you know, we live in the world and there, is, there are things that we, we need. But here's the thing. Even... Even our families, even our spouses, uh, even those around us, and I know you're going to, like, some of you are going to get offended at this. Tough. Deal with it. <laughs> it's truth. They're not ours. Our kids are not ours. Our families are not ours. They are first, they are His. And we can't hold on to them. I feel like there's, there's a fear that comes in of, of loss, of potential loss in our own life, especially when something like COVID comes up. Like when things like this come up, what it does, it, it reveals things. It increases the shaking. And sometimes the things we were holding on to that, that were just kind of sitting there and they were fine, we didn't realize that they were actually idols in our life until the moment that they start to get shaken. But God says this, he goes, he shakes the things that can be shaken so that the things that can not be shaken will remain. And when you actually hold on to the things that cannot be shaken, guess what? You're not going to get shaken. The shaking comes as you're holding on to the very things that have become idols in your life. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have that joy in your life, 
It's a place of worship where you only worship one. You worship nothing else. And I know you go, well, that's, that's like impossible to get to that place. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm not there. There are times in my life, there are things that are shaken all the time, and I feel like even more so now. So I'm, I'm not speaking at you. I'm not preaching at you. I'm with you in this. I'm sitting in the chair listening to this as well. But this is truth, and we need to hear it. And what this is doing is this will reveal the very things in our lives that we need to let go of. And when I say let go of, I mean you put your trust in the Lord in these areas. Trust Him. Stop trusting yourself and stop trusting the circumstances. It just reminded me that Tracy was saying, the Lord said this to him, and I think this is, this, is, this is a good word for right now. It says, when you let go of the things in your left hand, the Lord will give you the things in his right hand. And the power is in the right hand. He's actually, Jesus, he says, I hold out, I, I bear my right arm. That's the Father, and that's Jesus. So here's what I, just as, a, as we're going to actually do this, if you will. So I want to take, take your left hand and just kind of, you can hold it tight right now because these are the things that you're holding on to. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would reveal in our hearts the very things that we're holding on to that actually have become idols in our life. Whether it's our jobs, whether it's the, the house that we have, the cars that we have, the stuff that we have, whether it's our children, whether it's our spouse, whether it's relationships. Lord, there's only one that we worship. And you say, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. So Lord, I pray right now that as we, as we take the things that we've been holding on to in our left hand, and just as that sign we just open it up to you. We open our hand and we release all of those things to you. We say, Lord, remove those things in our lives, those idols in our lives, those, those things that have created worry and fear and the cares of this world. Lord, we remove those things right now. We ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit, by your grace, because we can't do it alone. <laughs> it's impossible. I feel, to have all those things removed. But by the grace of God, by his Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray right now that you would remove those things. Complete that shaking. Complete those things, that those can be removed. And Lord, I pray that with our right hand, Lord, that you would actually pour into us your very life, your sustenance of who you are, that we would hold on to the unshakable things that we would take hold of that thing which cannot be shaken. We hold on to you, Jesus. It's that Hebrews in the first part of Hebrews 12. It says that we would cast off, throw off all the weights and the things that would entangle us. We run with perseverance the race that's set before us, setting our eyes, holding on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith.
from the beginning of our faith when we say yes to Jesus all the way to the end of our faith when we say yes to Jesus and to nothing else. And Lord, I thank you that we can, we put our trust in you. It's just that, it's that Proverbs 3. Lord, we trust in you with all our heart. That means there's a purity of heart. We do not lean on our own understanding. We remove all the things that we've been trying to understand, that we've been trying to hold on to. They're yours. We acknowledge you in all our ways, in every single way. We walk in a new light. We walk in your life. And in that, I thank you, Lord, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you begin to cut that path. You begin to direct our path. You begin to lead us on that path. It may not make sense. It may be painful on this earth, but there are light and momentary troubles that are so worth going through your path that we would have eternal life with you. We look to the eternal things, not the things of man, the worldly things. We set our eyes on the eternal things, the desires of the heavenly Father, and only on those things. Through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Can you guys, yeah, let's just say that. Hallelujah. You know what that means? Joyous praise and song to the Creator. Let's just say it one more time. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Why don't we do this? Andrew, if you want to come up and we'll get the table and, and we're just going to receive, we'll receive the offerings right now, tithes and offerings. And uh, we're going to just do a declaration. So let's just, just Andrew's preparing here. Let's, let's do this declaration together if we can put this up. Let's declare his goodness as we just, this is just a uh, tithing and, and giving of what we have is just a way to, to worship the Lord with with all that we have. So here we go. We say this together if you don't know that. So we're going to speak this out, declare it together. Lord and Father in heaven, we come bringing our tithes and our offerings to you. Align our hearts with yours and our value system with yours. Increase our generosity and expand our capacity of our hearts as we trust completely in you. May we sow extravagantly and give generously that we may reap a harvest of souls. May your kingdom come. Open heaven and invade earth. Throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing we cannot contain. May the nations call us blessed as we co-labor with heaven. Thanks be to our Father for your indescribable gift. Now may our gifts be a fragrant offering, pleasing to you. 
We take hold of your promise to fully satisfy our every need according to your glorious riches revealed in Christ Jesus. May you receive all the glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you guys. Pastor Andrew, can you guys just give him a huge hand as he brings the word today? Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm privileged and honored to get to share this morning. One quick thing. I just talked with Christy. Sorry. We're going we're gonna to keep uh, the uh, Club 58 in here. It just felt like with, with Andrew. You guys know Andrew. And uh, so I just felt like this is, or Christy was saying that this is a great opportunity for you just to hear Pastor Andrew speak. So Club 58, stay in here. All right. Well, I'm still very honored and privileged to get to share with you guys this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Romans chapter 12. I've got a water, yeah, thank you. Um, I, want to, uh, I want to very quickly, while you're turning there, Romans chapter 12, to just kind of recap where we've been over the last several months. Uh, it's easy to get focused on the micro and kind of lose sight of the big picture of what God's doing and kind of where he's moving our whole congregation and our family. Uh, some months ago, and forgive me because COVID makes time feel weird. Um, But some months ago, we had started talking about hearts. Um, We spoke a lot about um, humility and how God was calling us as a church to to be very humble. That ended up being the foundation for where God began to walk us over those next several months. Um, From there, after we transitioned talking about the hearts, we started to talk about the wineskin. That became very common in our language. We talked about the different wineskins, and we started to to really um, analyze kind of at the height of of the shaking that happened in, in March and into April, we began to analyze what our what church looked like for us. Uh, we were even dissecting the language that we used, that we wanted to stop saying we were, we were going to church, and we wanted to start being church and uh, being a part of church, and that we were, the, you know, that church would be the body of people, not just the, the building. And so we started looking at different wineskins, and, and then from there we, we spilled into this idea of, uh, one of the messages was from comfort zone to the combat zone. And we really started looking at being more um, on the offense instead of the defense. So uh, if you think about it like a football team, uh, previously we were a, a, a league, uh, you know, when you think of kind of an American church, we were a league that had the, the quarterback pastors out on the field and everyone else was, was either on the bench or on defense. And we'd have some volunteers that I guess would be the special teams. And, and that's how we were playing the game. It was like, all right, send out the, you know, the, the paid ministers. Like, they're going to be, we got our quarterback, and, and that's it. And they're going to do all of that. And everyone else was just on defense. Defense being like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to not be polluted by the world, or I'm not going not gonna to watch that, or I'm not going to listen to that. I'm just going to protect my house and, and my family. And it wasn't really the offense of, like, I'm going to go and I'm going to share my testimony, or I'm going to pray for healing, or I'm going to, go out into the streets. It was very much like, well, I'm just going to check in at church and kind of do that. And so God was doing this shaking in our own structure and the way that we thought about church and and talked about church. And one of the areas that we feel God kind of highlighting next that he wants to put his finger on is our worship. We saw it a bit last week. We've talked about it a bit already this morning. Even the set list, these guys, they kind of knew what I was talking about. And so they teed us up 
just perfectly with those songs about nothing else. God, I don't want anything else. I don't, I'm not here because of what you can do for me. I'm here because of you. Or songs like, I'm coming back to a heart of worship, and I'm sorry for what I've made it, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. And so that's kind of where I, I, I want to talk this morning is about our worship. And as we had discussed it with a, a few of the pastors, worship is, is so many things. Worship is giving glory to God. Uh, worship is obedience. Um, worship is adoration to him. It's, it's giving our, our love and our affection to him. But I think it's also sacrifice. And that's kind of the element that I want to focus in on this morning. Now, this isn't the, the absolute end-all, be-all of worship. And, and over the next few weeks, we might talk more about the other different elements that kind of combine to make this beautiful thing that we call worship. But for this morning, I want to focus on, on the sacrifice aspect of, of worship. So if you're in Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in, in verse 1, and we're going to read it. It says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, he's addressing the church. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. So acceptable sacrifice. This is truly the way to worship him. So we're seeing this connection. Paul writing to a a church saying, hey, I want you to take your bodies and with your actions, the things you choose to do or the things you choose not to do, I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice to God, a sacrifice that he would find acceptable. This truly is the way to worship him. So connecting worship. Another great passage in Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13, 15, it says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. I think we've been doing a great job with kind of that verse 16 of doing good and sharing with those in needs. On the weeks when we go out, we take blessing bags and we hand those out and we pray for people. I think we're really excelling in this area. And, and I, I'm excited because that hasn't always been, been the case. But more and more of us are, are stretching that muscle and stepping out of that comfort zone. We're being, beginning to make a sacrifice in that way to do good and to help those in need. Uh, and what I want us to focus on is that, is that verse just before it, that we would continually offer this sacrifice of praise to God. And when, it, when the, both texts talk about the sacrifice that is acceptable, or these are the sacrifices that please God, in both Romans and in Hebrews, it makes me think back to Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and Abel. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Cain and Abel, uh, they're both brothers. Uh, One's a farmer, one's um, a shepherd. And what we read in in Genesis 4, picking up in about verse 3, it says, when the time for the harvest, when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Both brothers brought a sacrifice. One just sort of picked some things. He had, it was harvest time. He had brought in all the food, and he just kind of grabbed some of it and was like, here you go, God. It was still a, a, a sacrifice. It was an offering. He gave it to the Lord, but it wasn't, it wasn't like the costly, like, oh, I really picked out the best. His brother, on the other hand, really looked at all the sheep and animals and was like, oh, these are the firstborn, and these of those firstborn are the best, and they're pure, and they're spotless, and whatever. And so he takes them, and he sacrifices them. And the Lord looked at it, and he said, okay, I accept you and your offering, and I don't accept this and and that offering. Verse 6, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? Verse 7, you will be accepted if you do what is right. 
But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. What I'm learning through this is I'm reading through these texts and spending time with God. What I feel him directing me towards and, and revealing to me is that worship is not for us. It is, it is only for God. And when I say that, I think most of us would nod our heads like, yeah, I get that. I mean, none of us have commissioned a worship song to be written for us. None of us stand on a, on a stage and say, okay, raise your hand, sing about me now. We wouldn't dare to do that. I mean, that, that's blasphemy, right? To take something that's for God and make it for ourselves. We know, whether inherently or, or, or through teaching, we know not to do that. And yet, more subversively, kind of in a, in a more subtle sense, there are lots of times where our preference uh, can allow our worship to be hijacked, that our uh, comfort or our convenience will, will confiscate the worship that was meant to be for God and begin to make it about ourselves. Now, thankfully, um, you guys are not this way. Uh, the Lord has, has grown our congregation in a, in a huge way. Our family is in a different place than we were a few years ago. But there was a season... Um, a while back, where we would get pretty regularly comments, uh, notes, complaints, and emails from people in the congregation that would complain, you know, worship's too long, I don't enjoy this, like, why do we have to praise God for so long? And, and what would happen is, is people would, would show, and again, this isn't, this isn't you guys, but um, people would show up and, and they'd, be, they'd be late because it, it wasn't convenient for them to, to come early. And then they'd, uh, you know, they'd peek their head and be like, oh, they're worshiping. Okay, I'll get a coffee and I'll kill some time out in the lobby. I'll chit-chat with this person or that person. And then when they, they did come in, it was like, oh, this isn't really the song I like. Or it's too loud or it's too hot or it's too cold or it's not loud enough. Or the lights are too bright or there aren't enough lights. And, and something, it was always not the way they wanted it to. And then, you know, the lyrics, and it's like, ah, oh, I don't really like this song. Or the worship pastor would say, sing out your own song. And they'd be like, well, what are we even paying these people for? Why do I have to sing these songs now? <laughs> and, it was, and it was this ongoing thing, and, and the Lord was kind of shaking and moving and, and growing and challenging and pruning and so many different things. But people were coming in, and, and, and at some point, we had let it become all about us. And we had confiscated the worship that was supposed to be for the Lord, the sacrifice of praise that was supposed to be for God. And we had made it all about our, our comfort and our convenience. And what I would propose is when our preference takes priority during worship, who are we actually worshiping? Are we still really worshiping God if it's all about our preference or our priority or our timeline or our convenience or our comfort? Have we, in a way, made that worship about us? Are, are we worshiping ourselves and just calling it worship to God? And so that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. I believe that God Almighty is super deserving of our worship. And, um, and there's something really beautiful about the Word of God. When you, when you move through a, a small amount of text very slowly, you can find the intensity of the character of God. You can find one aspect of his character and you really zoom in on, on how uh, intense that aspect of his character is. But when you do a reading plan that covers a large section of scripture very quickly, uh, you, don't, you lose some of that intensity and what you see instead is the variety of the aspects of God. And so I've been in this reading plan lately that's taking me through, um, through Genesis and, and Exodus pretty quickly. 
And Genesis itself covers a, a large number of years, several generations, and a lot happens in the history that happens in Genesis. But what you begin to see is you see God Almighty as creator. He speaks in the world's forms. You know, he hangs the stars and he names them all. And he, and he separates day and night and he tells the oceans where they can stand. And then he begins to, like, to build. And you've got these, these people that, that rise and then you've got uh, catastrophes and remnants. And then he takes a, a pharaoh who's the most powerful in the world and he turns him into a puppet and he sends these plagues and then he parts oceans and he crumbles city walls and he defeats giants and it goes on and on and on and you begin to see like, wow, like you, you gain this reverential awe of who God is when you begin to cover a large span of text very quickly and you're reminded of just how holy and awesome and powerful he is. And it begins to reframe your worship because now you're not going in just seeing, you know, an intense but singular focus of his character. You're seeing this whole, wow, he is all of these things at once. And it shifts it. And so when we walk into the presence of that God, the God who did all of those things, who defeated the giants and crushed the walls and and provided and rained down the manna and was the pillar of, of fire and the cloud, when he was all of those things, when we come into his presence how could we not submit our preference to his? Like, how, how does our comfort or our convenience even stand a chance when that's the God that we're acknowledging or when that's the, the throne, room, throne room that we've come in boldly? It, it's not a bold, boldness that leads to an arrogance and saying, I need my way. It's the boldness that builds off of the humility that we talked about where it's, okay, God, I'm submitted to your awesomeness and I'm submitting not just my, my heart position, but also my, my preference as well. But throughout this, it's not just about our, our outward actions. I, I, I picked on, with love, the people who came later had some complaints. Um, but it's not just about our actions. Because one person uh, might sit down because they're, they're being touched by the Lord in a special way. Another person might sit down to disengage. One person might close their eyes to focus on, on the beauty of Jesus and the person of Jesus. Another person might close their eyes to fall asleep. You know, so we, we, it's not just the actions. It's really about how our, our hearts are engaged. And we see that illustrated beautifully with the story of Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul uh, is told by the Lord to do some really specific things when he goes and fights against the Amalekites. He's supposed to destroy them and destroy everything. And uh, let's pick it up in, um, in verse 19. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 19. It says, Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. And then my troops, blame shifting, then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, and the plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So he's like, we didn't obey him, but it's because we were going to take all this good stuff and we were going to sacrifice it to him. Verse 22, but Samuel replied, Samuel was the prophet who was kind of speaking for the Lord to King Saul. He says, but Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you have rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. 
Saul goes on. He's like, okay, fine, I messed up. And he tries to make it better. He's like, now please forgive me. But Samuel replies, I can't go back to you. Since you've rejected the Lord's command, he's rejected you as king of Israel. And there becomes this huge consequence because um, Samuel got so caught up in, in the sacrifice. So as I'm talking this morning about, hey, like, there's an element of sacrifice to our worship. I don't want us to get uh, so, you know, from one end of the pendulum to the other. I don't want us to, to swing so far and say, okay, it's now all about sacrifice. Because at the end of the day, it's actually obedience that is even better. But what I think is happening is God is asking us to make a sacrifice in our worship. And so now our, our sacrifice becomes a response to the request that God has made. And our act of obedience is to make, uh, to make our worship not about ourselves, but to make our worship authentically about God. King Saul and his sacrifice weren't right because obedience is, is better than sacrifice. And so it's not just sacrifice for sacrifice sakes. We're not supposed to just, you know, dress in burlap and throw ashes on our head and woe is me and vows of poverty and, and live miserably. That's not, uh, that's not necessarily what, what God is looking for. Uh, he's looking for this sacrifice that's rooted in obedience. And so we're not just looking at action. So, so for me, uh, I'm not, I, I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm judging you based on your actions because I would be a, a huge offender. Last week, uh, it had been a rough Saturday night with our infant, um, which led to a slow and, and late Sunday morning. So I got here late, and then I had to excuse myself mid-service because I had to go get some coffee because I found myself uh, falling asleep uh, during, during the ministry time. You know when like, the lights get really low? I'm sorry, Pastor Mike. The lights get really low, and you're there, and you're just like, yes, Lord. And then all of a sudden, you feel like the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is like, couldn't you pray for one hour? And you're like, sorry, Jesus. So I'm not here to throw stones. I am not here to judge you on your actions. I'm saying all of us could do a great job of, of, of recalibrating our worship. I think that's the best way to put it. That we need to recalibrate our worship and say, okay, God, has this been about me in any way? Or is it truly still about you? Because it, it, in the beginning, it was about him. And in the end, it's going to be about him. And in our sh- short and brief time, we need to also make sure that it's about him. So, um, so it's not just about actions. But the actions are important because uh, they are the outflow of our heart. If we only look at actions, then we get caught up in sin management and behavior modification. And that's not Jesus. Jesus died so that we would be completely transformed, not just slightly better. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to just tweak your behavior a little bit and make it a little bit better, and then, you know, you'll get another crown in heaven. No, no, no. I, we are completely transformed. God has completely done a change in our lives. We are new creations. And so from that place, like, we can choose to, to honor him. So our actions become an outflow of that new creation, of that new heart, of that new desire, that new nature. And so from that, we can now, we can now worship him. Um, but sometimes this raises the question of, like, okay, I come into a worship— I know I need to sacrifice my preference or get rid of my comforts and my, my, uh, my priorities, and I need to just make it about God, but I don't feel like it. And so there's this tension of, like, I don't want to be fake, and so do I fake it until I make it? Like, do I, do I just, all right, God, I'm going to raise my hands even if I don't feel like it? And I think, yeah, I think that's okay. I think in a lot of, a lot of areas of life, you don't worry about faking it, and you definitely don't fake it until you make it. But I think in worship, it's, it's actually okay to. And what I think back to is um, I had some friends who went with The Rock on a mission trip to India years ago. 
And when they came back, they told me the most impactful part of the whole mission trip. They had laid hands on people. They saw healings and deliverance, uh, incredible provision, unique favor, incredible opportunities. The thing that was most impactful for them was they came back and they both told me about this guy who gave a call to worship before their Sunday morning service. He was an older Indian gentleman, and he came up to the stage, and he had the mic, and very uh, firmly uh, and not angry, but definitely assertive, he addressed all the people, and he looked them square in the eyes, and he said, you will praise the Lord. And that, was, and that was it. He repeated it a few more times. You will praise the Lord. And, uh, and he stirred them up in that way, not as a like, and it was just, it was so in contrast to what I had been doing with the youth. Uh, you know, youth will come in on Wednesday nights, and they've got their friends around, and they've got their smart devices, and they're distracted because of what the day was like. And so our calls to worship were always like very appealing. It was like, come on, guys, like God is worthy. Like, let's praise him. And it was like all these things. And in India, it was just, you will praise the Lord. Because he had this understanding that, like, God is worth it, and, and this is our sacrifice of praises, that no matter how our day was, no matter what we're feeling in that moment, no matter what we have later that afternoon, we will praise the Lord. And so that became the most impactful thing from their whole trip. They saw miracles, and yet it was that one call to worship. And now years later, it's stuck with me, and it's shaped a big part of the way I come into worship on Sunday mornings is, like, I enter, and it's like, okay, I will praise the Lord. Like, Everything else, you know, move aside. I am going to praise God. So we can fake it until we make it because uh, that's the sacrifice that we, have to, that, that we have to do. Is like, even when I don't feel it, God, you're still worthy. And even when my body doesn't uh, agree with it because it's tired or it's achy or whatever, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hands even if my shoulders burn. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand even if my legs are tired. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to press through it because it's not about my feelings. It's about my faith that says, God, you're still worth it. So, so with that, some of my best, I say best, you know, the worship is all about God, but some of the moments where I have felt God the most, or I've been blessed in my blessing Him, some of the moments where those are the, the richest experiences haven't been um, when, I'm, when I'm feeling it, or when I come in excited. It's been when I've been obedient, and when my obedience has, has kind of cost me something. Most recently, I was, I had flown into Little Rock, but I had to drive over to, um, to some, like, Melvern, uh, Arkansas. It's like kind of backwoods area. So I had like a 40-minute drive, and I get in the car, and, and I've, on my phone, I've got some audiobooks, some podcasts, uh, and, and I thought, okay, and if I get tired of those, I could make a few calls. Wasn't thinking about worshiping at all. I'm on my way to meet with a client, and I'm going to produce a video for them, and, and so I've got these other things. And as I'm like cycling through my phone to kind of pick out what I want to listen to, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me and say, hey, why don't you worship me? And at first, I was like, no, 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 I got some good audiobooks. Like, I'm going to grow. This is, like, productive. You know, I'm going to use this time, kill two birds with one stone. And, and again, he was like, hey, why don't you worship me with this, with this specific song? And he gave me a song. And I was like, oh, but that album's, like, overplayed. Like, I've burnt through that song, and I've played it a bunch, and I'm tired of that one. I need some, like, new worship to really, like, feel it. And this is just, you know, being honest. Like, this is where I, where I felt like I was at. And so I'm still thinking, like, Okay, I, I don't really want to worship. If I'm going to worship, I don't want to do that song. And, and gently, the Holy Spirit was persistent and said, no, 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 why don't you do that song? So I thought, okay. So uh, I put on the song, and almost instantly, the Holy Spirit just filled that car. And I felt the Lord in a deep way. 
and it was really neat. And if I could digress just for a moment to kind of give some, some context or some understanding for that. Uh, when I talk about I, I felt the Lord or the Holy Spirit prompted me or nudged me, for me, more than, more than any, anything, it happens as like a thought. Like I'll have a thought, and it stands out as just sort of different than my thoughts because I was already hearing my own thoughts. It was which audio book, which podcast, who could I call? And so when a totally contrary thought that kind of conflicts with my own thoughts pops in, I think, oh, that, that might be God. And then you kind of run through, like, Scripture, like, you know, does it line up with the Word of God? Is it asking me to do things that are kind of in His will or as we've done that? So if you're trying to hear God more, uh, what I would encourage you with is, is read the Bible more because that's your litmus test for everything that you think you might be hearing from God. And then also, you probably already are hearing Him, and you, you don't realize it. it. It might be happening in dreams or as thoughts or I, I saw a picture or... I had this, uh, some people describe it as like a premonition or a gut or like a, a feeling or whatever. You're probably hearing God more than you realize, and you just haven't realized it. For the longest time, I just thought those were my thoughts, and it was really flattering because I thought, oh, I'm having these really great thoughts. And then I realized, oh, no, that's Holy Spirit. That's not actually, that's not actually me. Turns out my thoughts are mostly about like tacos and these things. Holy Spirit's got a very different thought process. So anyway, so that was that. Was that. And, then, and then you're also, um, yeah. So, so I put on the song. It hits me in a new way. Holy Spirit fills the, the car. You know, I've got these kind of Holy Spirit goosebumps, and I'm just, I'm, I'm loving it. Song ends, and I think, oh, I don't, I don't want it to stop. So I put it on repeat, and I play it and play it and play it. And my heart is so tender, and I'm like, feeling the Lord. And he doesn't speak anything like super revelatory. It's not awesome. It was just like, it was an invitation and it required me to put aside something that I wanted and it ended up being something even better than what I would have asked for. And I think that's how God works more often than not is when we make the sacrifice that he asks of us, he gives us something even better. Just like Pastor Mike was saying about, you know, we're clinging tightly, sorry, left hand, we're clinging tightly with our left hand and when we open it up, he's got something even better that he wants to put in, in our hands for us. And so I want to encourage you with that. Um, so that was beautiful. It felt really tender. Um, one of the things that was, it was evident was, okay, I made this conscious choice. I chose to like, okay, I won't listen to these things. I'll, I'll lean into God. I did that. It was really good. What I also think led up to that, um, because nothing happens isolated. You know, our whole life is is interconnected and woven, and God's using the whole of our story, not just the, the parts that we like or that we can identify as him. Um, what has been happening is God has been tilling the soil of my heart, and that through fasting and giving, he's been softening these areas of my heart. So when I was obedient and when I made that, that small sacrifice, and again, guys, this is small. To give up a podcast, you know, for 20 minutes, like that's seems kind of insignificant. I, I really don't feel like that should be our, our high watermark that I, you know, I can rally us all like, come on guys, 20 minutes, give up a podcast. There's probably a lot more that God is calling us to do. But, but statistically, here in Castle Rock, not all of us are going to give our lives as martyrs. That's, that's not kind of where we're at right now. Um, but all of us can recognize that, yeah, there might be some preferential thing that I could give up. There might be some small thing that I could give as a first step of like, okay, God, I'm going to sacrifice my desire to lean into your desire. And I'm going to make my worship uh, a true and an acceptable sacrifice by, by giving up my, my preference, by giving up my comfort, by singing the song I, I don't like, or pressing in even when the person behind me is like off key and sharp and flat at the same time. 
Like, I'm going to, I'm going to do these things. So again, like, this isn't a high watermark. This is just kind of like, let's all take that next step. And so, uh, so my heart was being softened by, by uh, fasting and, and by giving. And what the Lord was showing me is that if worship comes with or from or, or involves a level of sacrifice, and fasting is sacrificial, you know, we're, I'm not going to eat and that's a sacrifice, and giving is a, a sacrifice, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to give. He was showing me how uh, there is worship found in fasting and in giving that those three things kind of work together. And, and he showed me this in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, towards the end, it speaks of the prophetess Anna. And picking up in verse 36, it says, Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years, and then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. And I thought that was interesting. The Lord showed me that, that it wasn't just worshiping God, and she also fasted and prayed regularly, but it was she found a way to worship God with fasting and prayer. Now, we're going to be doing another corporate church fast, uh, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, that following Monday. And I would encourage you to ask the Lord what you should uh, fast and how you could be a part of what we're doing and what God's doing. Um, The last fast that we had was really great. Out of it flowed a, a number of opportunities and favor and decisions and, and strategies and things that as a church staff we're still kind of praying through and finding language for. But we saw the fruit from it and we said, okay, we, we need to do this again. And so we'll be doing that again next week. And, and ask Holy Spirit to lead you into what that looks like for you or for your family. We know that it's different um, for everyone because, you know, like... My four-year-old isn't going to go without food uh, for three days. That's not going to happen. So I'll still be cooking dinner and then giving it to her, and that's even harder, but that's the sacrifice that the Lord honors, I guess. Okay. <laughs> so we believe that through this season of, of fasting and giving, uh, not only is he, is he tilling the soil of our hearts. You remember the parable that Jesus taught about the seed goes out and it falls on good soil and rocky soil and hard soil and weedy soil, all those things. So he's using these things to till the soil of our hearts. Um, But with it, we're also using it to worship God. That in our fasting, we're worshiping God. In our giving, we're worshiping God. Because it's a, it's the type of sacrifice where it it takes the, takes the focus off of ourselves and it puts the focus on God through obedience. Um, What's interesting is that as we talk about this sacrifice as it pertains to worship, in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis and, and moving forward, the law doesn't come until the kind of middle end of Exodus, where Moses goes up on the mountain and the Lord says, okay, here's all the decrees, here's the things I want you to follow. But there is hundreds, if not thousands of years of history before that. Um, and what we see in some of those writings is that there were still elements of sacrifice connected with worship. So later, after the law is given, sacrifice was a means of atonement. You would take an animal and you would sacrifice it, and it would, and it would give you forgiveness for your sins, redemption or, or redeeming. But before the law was given, the sacrifice was connected mostly to worship, that people would set up an altar, and then, uh, depending on which translation you're, you're using, it would either they would cry out to the Lord or they would worship the Lord. Or with Abraham, um, he told his servants, he's like, hey, we're going to go up to this mountain and we're going to worship the Lord. And Isaac asks, well, where's the ram? And he says, the Lord's going to provide it. 
but he knew in the back of his mind he was, he was willing to, to sacrifice his son because that's what God had asked. And it was this whole, whole thing that throughout the Old Testament leading up before the law was given, the patriarchs, the, the people who were connected with God, they understood that there was an element of sacrifice connected to worship. And then the law came, and, and it looked a little bit different. But here we are on the other side where Jesus has fulfilled the law, and we have an opportunity to go back to where our sacrifice that we make isn't to make us um, seen by God any better. Jesus did that. We are, we are seen as the righteousness of God in Christ. So, so our actions don't give us any better standing with God, but what our sacrifice does is it honors the Lord. And so now we get to return to this place where our sacrifice can worship him because we're no longer just trying to get back to break even. It's not that we're trying to use our sacrifice to pay a debt. Jesus already paid that debt. So now we're building off of the work that he's done. And now every sacrifice that we make, whether it's giving up a 20-minute podcast or whether it's something much more significant, that sacrifice begins as worship to God, not as a repayment for sin that we've done. And that's such a beautiful thing to get to partner with God in, to say, wow, Jesus, thank you for what you've done. And now because of that, I can build on that. And now my sacrifices don't don't go to repaying something that I could never repay. Instead, they go to honoring you and blessing you. <laughs> yeah, our sacrifices aren't, they no longer repay God for the debt of our sin. Jesus covered that debt. Now our sacrifices honor him and thank him for everything that he's done. And it builds on that finished work that Jesus does. So we're not required to bring a sacrifice. Our sacrifice is a willing offering of, of God, you are worth it, and you're, you're glorified by it. And so when we take what would be a sacrifice to him and we make it about ourselves, it's, it's really dishonoring to the Lord. Let's look at, at one more example. 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is a beautiful passage about David. David was recognized as a man who had a heart after God. And that when there were other people who, who looked the part, uh, God chose David, who apparently didn't look the part, and chose him because of his heart. Um, so 2 Samuel chapter 24, starting in verse 18, it says, That day Gad, who was a prophet, came to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunia, the Jebusite. So David went up to do what the Lord had commanded him. So far, so good. When Arunia saw the king and his men coming toward him, he came and bowed before the king with his face to the ground. Why have you come, my lord the king? Arunia asked. David replied, I have come to buy your threshing floor and to build an altar to the lord there so that he will stop the plague. Uh, Context, what had happened just before this, David had taken a census um, and he apparently wasn't supposed to because the lord was very angry and sent a plague. Now, it's only coincidence that 2020 was the year of the census and we happen to have a plague. I'm not saying anything. I'm just, this is where, this is the context of the story I'm sharing. So in verse 22, Arunia says, Take it, my lord the king, and use it as you wish, Arunia said to David. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering, and you can use the threshing boards and ox yokes for wood to build a fire on the altar. I will give it all to you, your majesty, and may the Lord your God accept your sacrifice. So uh, the prophet comes to David and says, Hey, go to this place make an offering there. And he says, okay. So David goes to the place. The guy meets him, the property owner, and says, oh, you're going to make an offering here? Great. Here's oxen for your offering. You can sacrifice them. And you know what? Use the plows that they had. Use the farm equipment that they had. And you can use that to, to be the firewood. And you can break up the building that it's there. And you can do all that. He says, I will give you everything you need. But David has this response. Verse 24. But the king replied to Arunia, no, I insist on buying it. 
for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have, not, that have cost me nothing. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. Verse 25, David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer for the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. David knew it, it wasn't really a sacrifice unless it cost him something. Because he could take in those gifts from Arunia and he could have still assembled the altar and he could have still killed the oxen and he could have still started the fire and put them on there and, and burnt them and offered them. He could have gone through all of the steps, but, but he recognized that if it doesn't cost him something personally, then it wasn't true worship to God. And, and what I would uh, propose is that perhaps coming to Sunday service and, and standing during worship, maybe that's the act of, of you know, assembling the altar and putting the sacrifice up on there and, and doing it. But maybe it hasn't really begun to cost us anything yet. And maybe the Lord would begin to speak to you about what you could do um, to give a, a sacrifice that, that costs something. Maybe he would begin to, to lead you in that way and to prompt you. And that Holy Spirit, you know, inside of you would show you what it means to offer a, a, a sacrifice. Where, it, where your worship costs you something. And it might be small baby steps at first. It might be, okay, I'm going to give up this podcast and I'm going to use this time to worship God. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast in this way. Or I'm going to make this gift in this way. Or I'm going to do this thing. You know, we've, our, our language has worked against us in so many ways that when we talk about worship, we recognize it as, you know, that 45-minute, hour-long segment at the beginning of, of service. You know, like we can, we can articulate we're going to have announcements, then we're going to have worship, and then Pastor Michael close worship with offering, and then we'll go into the teaching. And, and we think about it in those terms that, oh, who's on the worship team for Sunday morning? And it's, we're talking about these people up here. Our language has so worked against us that we only think of worship in those terms, and we lose sight of, of what it truly is. Reverence and awe towards God, sacrifice to Him, obedience to Him, and giving Him glory. And that we can do those in so many non-musical ways. So David knew it wasn't really a sacrifice unless it cost him something. And performing the sacrifice in and of itself isn't always a sacrifice. Like to just go through the motions wasn't enough. He he wanted it to cost him something. So with this, I want to encourage you. I know in some ways I've said, okay, we got to do more. You got to work harder, you know, raise your hands, do your shoulders hurt, like whatever. But but I I, want to leave you with kind of this, this thought to encourage you as much as some of this might have stepped on toes. Our love is genuine even when it's weak. You know, so if, if you've been worshiping and, and maybe you haven't done it perfectly, if you've been worshiping and, and maybe some of those things that I talked about years ago, we would get a lot of the complaints about this or that, and you thought, oh, I've done that. Your love is still genuine even when it's weak. And so even when you haven't excelled at sacrificing or and you weren't great at, at uh, you know, giving up your preference or your convenience or your comfort, uh, your love was still genuine in those ways, but now God is calling us higher. Thankfully, though, the kingdom of God is more like baseball than it is like surgery. And I mean, what I mean by that is, is this. In surgery, you, you only really get to be a surgeon if you're good at it. Like, you got to have a really high success rate. No one wants to go to a surgeon who's like, I get it right about a third of the time. You know, like, you got this ailment? Uh, 30% chance I could fix it. On the other hand of things, uh, Charlie Blackman only, only uh, his, let's see, his batting average is just over the 300s. 
So that's not bad, right? Like you could be a pro baseball player and only hit it a third of the, like only, you know, a third of the time. I think that's pretty great. So, so I want to encourage you with that, that, um, that even God is calling us hires, but he's not calling us to be perfect. Does that make sense? He's, he's calling us to improve. He's calling us to do more, to listen better, to be obedient. But the kingdom of God celebrates, celebrates every win, not, not only if you win all the time. Does that make sense? Does it, okay, good. All right, one last thing. Um, Acts chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, flip to Acts chapter 10. I got to fly to D.C. last weekend or two weekends ago, and I, I walked the, the National Monument Mall area, like started with Lincoln, and then you kind of work through all the ones. It's like a 40-minute walk, but it's beautiful. And as I was seeing these different monuments and memorials, I was really touched. Um, they're bigger than they look in the pictures when you see them in a textbook or Google Photos or whatever. They're bigger, and they're grander, and they're really special. And when you're there, there's, there's a reverence and an awe. And they've got some signs that say, hey, please be quiet and respect. And, and so you're there, and it's like it's touching and moving, and this is where this happened, and this is where that happened, and this commemorates this and whatever. But as I was walking, the Lord kept reminding me of Cornelius in the New Testament. And in Acts chapter 10, it tells the story about Cornelius. Uh, yeah, Cornelius. He was, um, he was a Gentile. He wasn't one of the Jewish people. So Jesus had come, and he was primarily ministering to the Jewish people. After he left, the Holy Spirit came and, and started to, to minister and to outreach to, to even more Gentiles who were the non-Jewish people. And, and Cornelius is one of them. He's the start of this. Here's, here's how it plays out. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. So the Holy Spirit ministering to to Gentiles, which, you know, years later is now most of us in this room, happens through through a, a Roman army officer who had been um, praying and giving to the poor. And what's neat is that verse 4 in the, in the ESV version, it says it this way. Um, and he said to him, the angel, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And so I was walking through D.C. I was seeing all these different memorials, but I was just kept being reminded of like our worship, our prayers, our gifts, that sacrificial element there. It, uh, it rises as memorials before God. And so we've got here on earth memorials to men or events or different things, but our worship and our gifts have an opportunity to rise and build memorials before God. That God is seated there in heaven and he's seeing memorials built every time that we offer these sacrifices of praise. Every time we offer these sacrifices of, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be obedient and I'm going to make this sacrifice to do this because you're worthy, because it's not about me, it's all about you. And even if I'm not singing a song and even if there's not music and even if there's not melody, I am still worshiping you because worship is more than just a genre of music. Just as church is more than a building, 
worship is, is me giving you credit and glory and being obedient to you in, in the things that you ask me to sacrifice. And every time we do that, we are building these memorials to God. Isn't that beautiful? Excellent. I want to encourage you this week to build some memorials to God. It doesn't have to be with a, a team of musicians. It doesn't even have to be with a, a radio or music. Uh, you can choose to be obedient in any number of ways that the Holy Spirit leads you. And so listen to that small, still voice, that small, silent voice that speaks inside of you that might be a, a thought or a dream or an idea or a vision or a prompting or an impression. Listen to that and then yield your comfort. Step outside of, of that comfort zone. Uh, do something that you wouldn't normally find yourself doing. And in doing so, I believe that we're going to be building these memorials to God in such a beautiful way. Awesome. Let me pray for you all. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for how you are moving in our congregation and that you are systematically building us. We talked about humility. We talked about changing a wineskin. And now you're touching on the place of, of worship and how we worship you. I pray that this week you would take our eyes off of ourselves and that you'd help us to fix them back on Jesus. I pray that you would give us the grace to, uh, even when we don't feel like we can do it perfectly, to do it better. I pray that that grace would empower us to live selflessly, that it would empower us to uh, give up our comforts or our preferences and instead to make it all about you. Father, we are sorry for the thing that we have made worship when we made it about um, what it felt like for us or what we could get out of it. I'm sorry when we came to you not because of who you are but because of what you did for us or what you could do for us. I'm sorry when we just wanted something from you. And Lord, I, I pray that as we repent from that, we would turn and we would begin to live differently. That our worship would be true and acceptable. That it would be pleasing. That it would be like the right sacrifice. That it would be the, the finest of the firstborn. That it wouldn't just be some of what we have to offer, but it would be our best. In Jesus' name, amen.